Hello and welcome. I am Jay Sibylla Smith, the creator of Got Punctum. What began as an online photo book book group has evolved into this podcast. This is where I host conversations with contemporary photographers, curators, and critics to discuss concept development and the photo book making process. I utilize my trademarked framework, Concept Aware, to investigate how each artist sees and how their creative practice is layered as it moves from an abstract idea into a concrete object. My recent guest, Peggy Nolan, describes a photo book as a conversation in your lap. I see photo books as concept aware in action, a multi-layered collaboration of ideas, images, and text, a vibrant ecosystem of my artistic medium, the creative practice. Thank you for joining the conversation. Kindly follow, rate, and review. Please visit my website, jsibillasmith.com, for a breadth of resources and specifics on my work as an independent curator, educator, and consultant. And connect on other social media platforms where you will find me under jsibilla. I use all these platforms to shout out about our global visual culture conversation. Today, I host an artist talk with Britland Tracy. We met serendipitously at the Rural Gallery in Denver during the dual opening of Soft Mirror and Rupture. I knew I needed to have more time talking with Britland about her roles as a curator and creator. Listen in to learn how her cinematic multimedia documentation flips narratives, reverses power structures, and collapses silos. She investigates how we see and mirrors back some telling truths. I am so glad you are here. Let's begin. Great. So welcome, Britland. I am so excited to have you on our podcast. And I love the serendipitous way that we met. Um, I had an action-packed night during the Denver month of photo because I was there for SPE and got to go to the Rural Gallery and see your curation at work. Um, when you did Soft Mirror. And then one thing led to another. It was like a kindred spirit. It was really fun to learn about your self-published book, about your zine. Um, and that's what we're going to do today is just kind of unpack it, like um, the world according to Britland. <laughs> How's well, that? thanks for having me, Sibylla. This is so fun already. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's really fun. I mean, I had such a good time talking with you and I remember just holding the book for the first time um, and going, because we've got, we've got a lot of things to unpack. We met at Soft Mirror and I want to talk about that. We, um, in addition at the Rural Gallery, you had your work, Rupture. I want to talk about that. And then I was led into Show Me Yours 
and then learned also of Pardon My Creep. So all those prolific pieces that you've got your hand in, I'm not sure, do you have a preference given all that where we start? What would make sense? Um, Yeah, a lot of content and a lot of content that I think is related and yet visually doesn't look all that related. Mm-hmm. Um, in my mind, they are they are all connected in some way, right? Because I'm the one who made them, of course. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, we could talk about the, you know, the way in which we first met. I mean, we could talk about those two shows at Rule Gallery first. Um, it's still amazing to me that I met you or even had a full-on cohesive conversation with you during that time because I honestly don't remember any other conversation I had with anyone that made sense or uh, where I wasn't stolen away or completely my attention wasn't completely hijacked so I'm glad that the like attentional seas parted (laughs) long enough for us to connect in that way. Um, it was a happening, believe me. I It was fun to see. I mean, I knew uh, pretty well two of the artists that you had chosen. Um, but when I walked in, I literally walked right into you and I didn't know you were the curator, right? So that, that started our conversation. And um, one of the co-owners remind me of the woman's name that was with us. Um, Valerie Sanders. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Valerie is one who mentioned A, that you were the curator, B, that your work was upstairs. Mm-hmm. And then we were able to slip away when we were upstairs um, because I was already really impressed with Soft Mirror before I got upstairs and then was impressed with Rupture. So Soft <laughs> Mirror, tell me, because I think it's really interesting. I see connectivity all over these pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did that come together for you? And I absolutely loved the title. And so I love hearing when that kind of worked into your conceptual development. Mm, Okay. Yeah. So, well, I should start out by saying that I've had an ongoing relationship with Rule Gallery, mostly through their Marfa location for the last, um, three, four years now. And I, I, I mean, I'm an artist, I'm an educator. I don't generally wear the curator hat, but since, um, there was the biannual month of photography happening in the larger Denver area, Valerie asked if I would like, if I would be interested in guest curating the month of photography show at rule, which doesn't always show photography. They show a lot of other mediums as well. Um, so it was a really interesting way of working and opportunity. Like I used it as an opportunity to reach out to artists whose work I already admired or, or just wanted to, um, be involved with a bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, and at first I was thinking a lot about the, like the, the pet name I had for the show, which is so bad was power play. Um, and, and I was, I mean, I was quite literally just thinking about the, the tensions between power and play. And I was thinking a lot about, um, like Raphael Soldi's work, um, you know, he takes these, um, he finds this footage of this type of adolescent horse play, uh, that he himself experienced in Catholic school in Peru. 
And I was familiar with his work because I'd seen it at the print center in Philadelphia in a smaller iteration several years ago. And I knew Raphael um, kind of distantly from Seattle, from the Photographic Center Northwest from maybe 10 years ago. And, and yeah, so I that work was kind of in my consciousness. I love Tabitha Soren's work. The And I know that you interviewed her uh, for your podcast. And um, I, I just, I felt like her work had this kinship with Raphael's, even though they are very, very different. And, um, and Dion, Dion Lee, I had met her at the, she was a artist in residence at the Chinati Foundation last year in Marfa. So I knew, I knew a little bit about her work. I knew she was working in the dark room and she was using these different, um, kind of tactile darkroom techniques to almost mimic rituals of survival in the landscape and using that as a metaphor for a lot of things, whether it's, you know, racial disenfranchisement or acts of, of survival or wayfinding or, you know, uh, her experiences with living in California for a while, just, you know, water shortages, um, climate crises. There's a lot to unpack in her work. And, uh, and then lastly, Kei Ito, um, I just, I really loved the fact that he's more of a kind of a sculptural installation. He approaches photography from this like installation point of view and, um, and had, had adopted this type of visual language to talk mm -hmm. about being a descendant of a Hiroshima bombing survivor. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, and as I, Basically, I began with this idea of power and play, and then I reached out to five artists. Those four got back to me and said yes. And as I started conducting either back and forth email conversations with them or um, had like Zoom studio visits with them and seeing which works were available and, um, and gaining more insight into the way they actually worked, I, I started thinking more along the, the lines of ritual and survival and the ways in which they distill these very large histories of violence, some of which are still going on, and they distill them into these personal reflections on their own lives. Mm. And I, I like that because you see a lot of artists who um, make work specifically about something that only impacted them in a very diaristic way. Mm. And I really love work like that. But it was interesting to me that they they were almost reverse engineering it. And um, and so that's when I kind of I threw out the play part and I brought in the more like ritual reflective aspect um, of the show. And uh, the last thing to decide on was the title. And I I was right up to the um, the drop dead deadline, as Valerie would call it, <laughs> with that. And so she and I went back and forth for a really long time. And I think I we still have lists of all of our word plays. And it was about touch and ritual and play and power and looking and reflecting and mirroring. And finally, I think I blurted out soft mirror as just like a Hail Mary attempt at finding a show title and um and we we're just like yeah that's right that's it mm -hmm. um and uh it, yeah so that's the story of the show and I'm well yeah well it's interesting I don't mean to uh to cut you off but even the idea of soft mirror um there's so many ways in which I felt you reverse engineer so many things, 
right? That's I, I when I would if if we get to talking uh, about how all of your different bodies of work relate, I think you have this innate ability to reverse engineer. You're you're constantly turning things on their ear. Uh, I was thinking about that. It, it was similar to like changing lenses, right? You're looking at the same thing, but with different lenses, or you're, um, you're flipping the power play, uh, which you do very well. And I think almost instinctually. Um, and then I was thinking also about like almost collapsing silos, like you're able to real, you really have this wonderful blend of playing. Um, but it, it actually, it's so funny. It's like, if I had to like sum up your work, it would be power play. So I'm going to call your way of working power play. Yeah, like that's what you do naturally because you're really always messing with that, right? And so that's why when I heard Soft Mirror and I'm standing in that show, it was immediately obvious to me that power play because there's absolutely nothing soft. I mean, there is in the sense that all of the work in the show is almost viscerally beautiful in these ways that, that they're just, there's, there's beauty. However, there's also all this intensity that, that comes with it. So, and it does make for reflection, but when I think about that, there's nothing soft about that, right? You think of soft as being like, ah, like fluffy or not so difficult or not so deep. And, and it is. So I even found the word play of soft mirror reflecting all of what you do, which is also the images that you chose, the pieces that you chose, um, held that space between like beauty and attention. And I, I mean, tension. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm always, maybe this is where the softening comes in. I am always drawn for me, for, for work to be really compelling, I need it to be visually compelling and conceptually compelling. Mm -hmm. And I find that often you get one or the other, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> you get the beautifully staged photo that illustrates something that is really easily digestible mm -hmm. that and therefore forgettable. Or you get the esoteric pile of dust in a corner that, you know, doesn't, I mean, actually, I, I love stuff like that, but, um, <laughs> but you, what I really love about all four of those artists is that you don't walk in, um, you don't walk in and you're not immediately slapped in the face mm -hmm. with every bad thing that has ever happened in the world. Correct. Mm -hmm. You are, I think, I hope drawn in with the types, the, the specific types of visual languages and abstractions that they have applied to these histories and to their work and the like gorgeous, impeccable craftsmanship and the like modalities of presentation that they've all adopted. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're drawn into that, you know, and then you learn like, you know, oh, this is a, this is a screenshot of a protest, you know, lifted from this website and then repurposed with these fingerprint smudges or, 
um, you know, this is a, this is a performance of, um, of water divination, or this is a, you know, this artist only uses sunlight and his own breath as, um, a metaphor for his own survival and a metaphor for the sun being this, you know, this thing that can be, um, alchemized into nuclear destruction or, or, you know, or quite literally life-giving. Um, Mm-hmm. and that that's the kind of work I'm it maybe maybe that's where the softness comes through although absolutely um yeah although it's very very contrasty and colorful and bright <laughs> so yeah like I mean it, it's so interesting because I, I think you find a way to hold opposites is how I would also think about it um partly because yes you're drawn in by the beauty I found in the work, um, and even it, it isn't reflected with like soft color necessarily. It is reflected with that, that specificity of craftsmanship that you mentioned and you couldn't get something. It, it's, it's like, um, I think the people you chose have an ability to distill and get this essence and and that idea of um, editing till you do have the language so that there isn't a lot of superfluous things. Um, but I thought it was a really wonderful way that you crafted. And I found your vision singularly interesting. Like, like I was excited to see who you brought together. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was fun. It was a fun process. And um it, yeah, and I mean uh I I'm always interested in artists who sort of alchemize violence. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Whatever, you know, however that manifests. Well, that's actually that's an interesting segue to rupture because that's what you did in rupture your own work yeah 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 yeah. well and it it was kind of funny because that show uh which was a much smaller show upstairs in the gallery separate from the larger show that I curated but um that show kind of came together I don't want to say as an afterthought but it was definitely very much after I had already started planning soft mirror and then I was asked like oh there's that smaller viewing room upstairs. Do you want to have, you know, do you want to show pieces from that series? And, um, that show originally opened in Marfa in its entirety. It was a much larger show in Marfa, Texas. Uh, in, it was supposed to open in April of 2020 (laughs) and then it opened in July and it was a very, uh, minimally attended show as it should have been. But it, it got to see many more people got to see it probably just during that opening in Denver than, you know, than people who saw it in Marfa for the two and a half months it was up, uh, because of the pandemic. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so that, wait, which direction would you like to go? I'd love to just, uh, about, it sounds like you you were attracted to artists that alchemize violence and you had yourself taken that on. So what how did rupture start for you? 
Yeah. Well, so Rupture is a series that I have picked up, put down and picked back up again many times over the past several years. And I've realized that that is how I work um, with all sorts of projects. And I used to have a lot of hangups around that. And now I've just decided that that's just, that's just how I work. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Um, Oh, well. Um, I'm not linear. Mm-mm. Yeah, I'm not linear. And, you know, in between my rupture stints, I created entirely different bodies of work and then I would return to it. So um, that rupture is a series of photographs that are all long exposures of violent scenes from movies and TV shows. And when I say violent scenes, I mean specifically human on human abusive scenes, whether they are um you know, it could be verbally abusive, it could be child abuse, it could be domestic violence, it could be um, hate crimes, you know, racially motivated um, hate crimes. Um, uh, I, I mean, it's dark, right? It's all the things we don't want to look at. It's it's murder and, and rape and, um, and uh, assault. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that pretty much encompasses most of it. Mm. So um, the, these are all long exposure photographs and the exposure of each photo coincides perfectly with the duration of the scene itself. So if a particular scene lasts four minutes and 26 seconds, well, then the shutter is open on my camera for four minutes and 26 seconds. And, uh, and then they're each titled with the last words that are spoken in that scene. So what you get are these non sequitur kind of titles, like you're going back to Missoula, Montana, or I didn't want it to be like this, or you were one of my favorites. And sometimes they're kind of like poetic and vague and other times they're very dark and kind of literal. And for me, um, these photos are my attempt at creating some kind of visual allegory or metaphor for the way that the human psyche kind of condenses and distorts trauma, these very specific types of um, violence. Mm-hmm. And I think it's uh, like, I, I think a lot about the way that an, the accumulation of something can actually lead to its erasure, right? So you mm-hmm. get, so in these images, you get these like kind of blurry, painterly, dreamlike photos that are often very contrasty and colorful. And the reason that they're so contrasty and colorful and have a lot of movement in them where you can just barely make out like a face or a lamp or some curtains is because the gestures and the cinematography of the scene itself is so um, intense and violent and often taking place at night with a lot of conflicting, um, you know, artificial lights of different light temperatures. So you get, you know, these rich like purples and blues and yellows. And um, so, yeah, that, so that uh, series obviously is something I can do from anywhere at any time, um, where I'm, I'm not, there's not a scarcity of these scenes that exist in entertainment media. And there was a brief moment where I thought about including, 
like scenes, uh, um, non-fictitious, non-cinematic scenes Mm -hmm. because they, they do exist. And I quickly vetoed that idea in my own mind because I don't think that's what it's about. I think it's, even though we do have documentation now of certain acts of violence like this, they are still few and far between. And when we do encounter them, they often, they often incite a lot of movement, a lot of social movement and outrage and protests and ideally, you know, systemic changes. But I think that the absence of the representation of these particular types of violence is um, what I'm most interested in. And all we're really given um, by way of representation, unless we have experienced or seen these relatively private acts ourselves, is their um, their like cinematic stand-ins. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, we get to learn mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we get to learn what you know domestic abuse looks like from when um, you know Jennifer Lopez is beaten by her husband in the early two thousands in that movie Enough, or mm-hmm. in like Sleeping with the Enemy, or you know, like we get to learn about child abuse from what like Mommy Dearest. I mean. Um, we, you know, boys don't cry. We see, uh, we see a trans person raped. We see, you know, the, um, the, the quote unquote curb stomp scene from American history X. Like Mm -hmm. these are, these are outrageous scenes. They're heartbreaking. And yet they are still, um, designed and fictitious and cinematic. Mm-hmm. And like, what does, what does that mean exactly? I, I don't really, you know, these are still questions I'm, um, I'm grappling with, but mm-hmm. yeah. So these are, these are all of the things kind of going on in this series. Wow. Well, I remember, I mean, it is again, uh, <laughs> rupture is a soft mirror, right? <laughs> to open up all those questions and is an abstraction. You've created your own visual language. And and what's interesting is they they are beautiful uh, in in luring you in as you mentioned the colors that they create etc. And I thought the um, titling was so um, intriguing as well because let's say you walk in and don't know anything um, but are in the room with those images and then you see the titles and you're right in terms of some of them being poetic and I had written down other ones one is I'll be back or give up or there's something else and so you're really left with all these open-ended questions which I think is really helpful um, when you lay out the premise of what you're dealing with and I really appreciate what you're talking about in terms of most of our knowledge is so, um, I hate to use this word sanitized, but, but it is crafted and designed. Um, you know, it's a team of people, it's not really happening. Um, so there's all this distancing. And then because we do have repetitive acts of violence that we see, what does our mind do with that? Um, so I think it's really interesting what you've been able to pull out. And I, I have to say that it, it made me think it was interesting 
in your book, Show Me Yours, that a professor of film studies wrote about it because I'm thinking that, I mean, I know you studied, I think, mixed media, but you've definitely got a cinematic like structure in your thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's, that's interesting. You point that out because when I was in graduate school, I was technically in the photo department, mm -hmm. but I pretty much just hung out with the painters and the sculptors and the filmmakers. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And so, um, Melinda Barlow, who wrote that essay in the back mm -hmm. of the show me yours book, she was, um, an advisor on my graduate committee and a mentor. And I took many of her seminars in graduate school. She's a film studies professor at the university of Colorado. And since then she's become just a close friend of mine. And, um, and interestingly her writing that essay, it kind of led me to, um, showing that rupture series because, um, I, you know, her compensation, basically I asked her, okay, if you're writing this essay, would you like, uh, is there, you know, can I pay you? How can I pay you? How can I compensate you? And she said, well, I want that one pink photo with the lamp that I've seen in the studio for the last year. That's all I want. Um, and I was like, great. <laughs> um, so I, I gave her a big print of it. She ended up buying another, the, the larger blue image from Rupture that was right next to the pink one in the show. And, uh, because she had seen it on my website and I, at that point, I think I just created that image and she bought it from me and then got them framed. Uh, they were in her home and she then went to rural gallery, uh, months or maybe a year or so later and bought a piece from another artist from rural and when um, Valerie and I believe Rachel, it might've been someone else associated with Rule, when they came in to install um, the piece she had acquired from them in her home, they were they saw the two rupture pieces. And so anyway, that brought me to Marfa, which um, uh -huh. and yeah, it, it kind of, so it's interesting that you brought up that essay because um, that was the connective thread. And uh, yeah, and then Melinda ended up um, guest curating the, my Marfa show, um, wow. in, yeah, during the pandemic, which is a little bit complicated, but yeah. That, so, well, I love the circularity and kind of the serendipitousness and also the connectivity, um, because here's another analogy I have for you. Um, hold on. I'm writing a note is, um, you're like monofilament. Uh, in that you're invisible connectivity, but it's like ridiculously strong. Mm. Oh, I love that. I also love that this is being recorded. So I don't have to write down all of these amazing phrases you're using. I can just listen to you later. I think earlier you said something like collapsing silos and I was like, Wow. I need to write that down. Yeah. Uh, monofilament. Okay. I love that. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel that it's just super interesting. And, and I love how you just described all of those relationships. Um, because I, and I'm so glad to underscore your accepting the nature in which your creative practice comes in 
a different flow than is, is necessarily, you know, start to finish, which is awesome. Um, and that idea of just one person's impact on the other. I think that that's so important. And certainly like that's how it happens for me, right? I walked in, it was totally serendipitous that I walked in. It didn't hurt that you had on an awesome dress. Um, but that was so right. But I literally physically was just right in front of you and Valerie. And so like, I, I think I really resonate with that one thing leads to another. Um, like it was even interesting because we met and we were trying to figure out when to talk again. And then there you were coming to SBE to actually be able to sell your book. So right. just yeah. all those circles were really yeah. Yeah. fun. Yeah, you came to my rescue as I was like toppling over with too many parts. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, actually, that I was definitely perfect. had a late night. <laughs> it was not that was like great. 9 a.m. of it all. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm sure you had quite the party, which was great. I mean, I hated to leave. I had to go to, I think, three openings in this two hour span across Denver. But um, yeah, so the circularity, but that brings us to Show Me Yours, which tell us about how that came to be and I just, I, I've got other questions about it, but when did, when did that, the seeds of that start? Oh, God, yes. So Show Me Yours is probably the oldest project um, out of everything we're talking about and also still um, pervades my consciousness in a really important way. And also influences uh, kind of a newer iteration of that of that project or that way of working that I am currently working on in Marfa, Texas, before I move away. Mm -hmm. So, um, show me yours. I began, I want to say, in 2015, but it I really started to gain some traction with it in 2016. Mm -hmm. And basically it's a project where I photographed, um, I was living in Colorado at the time in Boulder and I photographed the bedrooms of 12 different men who I didn't know, or was at the time vaguely acquainted with. Uh, and I just asked them if I could spend an hour or two photographing their bedrooms and everything I found inside of them. <laughs> and the very first room I went into, I... I dug through, I, I think I found a stack of cardboard boxes and I, I unstacked them. I, uh, I opened the bottom box. I dug through it and I found this note that was folded up into eighths and I unfolded it. And it was a list of everything he hated about himself. Mm -hmm. And, um, I taped it to this black curtain thing that he had hanging in his space. And I just took a photo of it, like a piece of evidence. And I thought that note was a one-off, but then the next space I went into, I had all these notes lying around about everything that excited him in life and who he wanted to be. And it was kind of the opposite in tone of the list of things I hate about myself, mm -hmm. but still it was, it was some kind of emotional self-disclosure. It was some, it was some, there was something diaristic about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, then I kept, I kept going and, uh, those two people were acquaintances at the time. And I 
quickly decided that I needed to expand beyond my own circle, which at the time was, you know, artists and Boulder. So, Mm -hmm. um, I started using dating apps as a way to just broaden my scope. Mm-hmm. And, but I made it very clear, like, if I am showing up to your house to photograph your bedroom, we are not dating. That's <laughs> I am not a part of this package this in our relationship. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> You're leaving. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, I guess that that formed its own set of like funny stories and anecdotes, but that's really not what the project was about or is about. Um, yeah, so I, I that allowed me to find a broader range of people in every way, just a larger diversity of people. Um, I guess to some extent, um, I wouldn't say that all of these men were straight, but I would say that they were all um, interested in, in women in some capacity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's probably how I was able to find them on, on dating apps, you know, without masquerading as someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess, you know, in hindsight, some of that seems a little bit problematic to me now. Um, and, uh, but also this was, this was 2016. This was, um, before and then right around and then right after the presidential election. I mean, this project really spanned maybe a year. No. Yeah. Maybe a year before the presidential election up until about a few months after the inauguration, if we want to sort of center that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is when people were just, I think they were just starting to talk about, um, toxic masculinity or masculine vulnerability, like these terms that we've all heard and almost are a little bit eye-rolly now, you know, we're like, how can we create a more nuanced conversation around this? And, you know, what does that even mean? But back then, um, I mean, isn't that when Brene Brown had just mm-hmm. her TED talk about like radical vu- vulnerability? I mean, wasn't that, wasn't that like 2014, 2015? Isn't that and old? Then, yeah. I mean, her first book came out 10 years ago about those subjects and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, we part of what she talks about too, and part of her work is giving us language so we can have a nuanced conversation. So yeah. So we start with the clunky stuff and work Mm -hmm. our way in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that time period was when this idea around vulnerability was still a clunky word. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and kind of, and, and, you know, people were talking about shame in this new way. Like that was this word that was suddenly in the cultural lexicon and, um, and, and what was even more delayed were, uh, people applying these terms to, uh, heteronormative performances of masculinity. Yes. Yes. And I, yeah. So, and I didn't, I didn't go into these spaces being like, I am looking for, for evidence of, (laughs) uh, of masculine vulnerability, like show me your diaries. But what I started noticing is that I would walk into a stranger's bedroom and there would be just like a moleskin notebook accidentally on purpose left on the nightstand. Mm -hmm. So of course I would pick it up and photograph it. 
often I, I would often not even read what was in the diary until I got home and was editing these images in Photoshop because I just, I didn't have, I didn't have enough time to sit there and read, um, months worth of someone's emotional self-disclosure mm-hmm. and then also photograph their spaces. So, you know, I'm looking for, I was looking for these these journals, notes, letters, you know, scraps of writing. Sometimes they were just little notes that clearly were written while well under the influence of something. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I found, you know, I would find also evidence of, of hyper-masculinity. You know, there would be like, I think in one guy's room, I found like a samurai sword sitting next to this like Costco and, you know, sized tub of uh, protein powder. Uh, yes, I remember that image. <laughs> um, you know, so you see, you see all of that stuff. Um, but uh, that's what I was interested in. I was interested in this tension between the two, like, you know, something that was very soft or nostalgic or, um, messy or emotional mixed with the protein powder, with the samurai sword, with the, you know, the snowboards, with the, like the, the BDSM images of women shoved under their mattress or like mm-hmm. what, whatever it was. Or how about the um, card from their mom and dad saying you've grown into your big boy pants with a photograph of a kid. Right. Right. <laughs> Stepping into a man's pants. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to say that I had so much um, fun trying to makes sense because there was such juxtapositions. And what's really funny is I know that it came with the text that I found, but I found that after that double spread of the like seven pages of a diary. And I literally pulled out and read the diary pages. It was so funny, but I'm so glad I did. And I mean, I saw some of those you repeated, but some of the things that I came up with like uh, how some person slept with 12 women, but he only loved four. He was longing for one of them. The other one was a setback. And it was like that juxtaposed to like, how can I be happy and honest simultaneously? Um, There were just such a wide variety. I had to laugh one one person's writing said, I'm a fan of society. And it was basically during a rant on the fact that they were taxed on this (laughs) <laughs> on on having been part of AmeriCorps. Um, right. So, I mean, I'm just, I thought how you pulled together again, um, kind of disparate parts and holding that, um, all those tensions at the same time and leaving room for them. Again, that is collapsing silos, right? It's like, here's men uh, grappling with, identity, divorce, belonging, um, their own desires, what is success. Um, I mean, we covered so many in that small bit of writing. There isn't a lot. There's just so much. And then as you said, all you need is a picture of that protein powder. And then it's like, wait, what's that? Like, I mean, it's really fascinating to see what you discovered. You know, the more I have thought about that project or even just approached some other projects, I'm, I really don't have as many answers as I have questions. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I probably the motivating or the activating ideas that I was working with 
um, when I began that project probably started from a more definitive or I don't know, maybe even like salty place of, Mm. of like, you know, I'm, I know what I'm going to find or Mm. like, I, I know the story I'm trying to tell, but that quickly dissolved because I would find, like you said, you know, all of these juxtaposing objects and writings and sentiments. And, you know, at the end of the day, these are 12 different human beings who are then being dissected by a a third party, you know, by a 13th human being being me. Mm. So, um, like what I am choosing to photograph and include within the frame and exclude within the frame and how I'm choosing to sequence them, them, and, um, you know, the, the pairings of images and writings, uh, that's all, you know, that's all me. That's all me asserting my agenda and narrative onto them as well. So like, I don't, I mean, I hope that through compiling all these images, it doesn't come off as definitive or judgmental, um, or like singular in, in, in the way that in, in like in its read and the way that anyone translates or interprets, I guess, all of these, like this entire project. And, and I actually going off of that, I think the reason this, that project felt complicated and it felt like something I wanted to distance myself from for a while is because, um, quite frankly, I kind of got tired of, um, being like the men's bedroom girl. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that became a little annoying. And I, um, and I found like at the time people were more interested in how I found these 12 different people mm-hmm. or, you know, like the, like the subtext of it all. Mm-hmm. or what they what their actual motives were or oh d- you know d- was i was i leaving them in the dust or did they do anything creepy or did i you know just all of the those questions mm-hmm. or you know oh what did what did your conversation look like on the dating app before you went to their house and it, it, it's like well that's not that was a means to an end that mm-hmm. wasn't actually the story uh, yeah, that's not the story. I mean, I'm sure like, I don't know, you hear about so many different incredible, like so many photographers who they make a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And the stories that they tell about the process of making that thing are equally, if not more interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. y- you know, you listen to Alex Soth talk about mm-hmm. any process of making any, any like a uh, book that he's mm-hmm. ever produced. And my God. I mean, the stories, the images are incredible, but the stories are better. (laughs) Maybe not, but, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and it's like, well, photography by its very nature flattens. I mean, it's a silent flat medium. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't know how to reckon with that, but I do know that I wanted to distance the work itself from the juicy stories that people were trying to get around you know, me finding men on Tinder and then going to their bedrooms and reading their diaries. Mm -hmm. Well, it's so interesting. And I get that there's all those layers and then there's, you know, it's like when you put your work out in the world, you get all these other reactions to it that you have absolutely no control over, which is just the nature of the beast. But the idea that 
you were open to allow the work to unfold. And I get and I appreciate that you went into it with a certain amount of um, pre-expectation or somewhat of an assumption. I mean, it, I think you come out with it that basically you are flipping the narrative where you're saying, I mean, you're taking a power role and you're being invasive, you're you're objectifying, you're somewhat exploiting, um, and then you're using frankly, right? Right? It's going somewhere else. So isn't that a flipped narrative of what Tinder might be indicative of in certain relationships, right? So I appreciate all the layers conceptually of that, right? Like yours going into it, you, you flipped the power, which in a lot of situations, you could take it as a gender power play, but non-gender as well, when, or, or, you know, same sex as well. It's this idea of, you know, you've got the dating app component is in there of who's quote unquote leading. Um, it's got so many layers. And so my assumption would be that, um, it rolls into how else you work in terms of it could be picked up again and looked at again from a lot of different perspectives, right. Um, as you kind of peel the layers, cause there are many, um, one of the things, or there are two that I wanted to, um, to lay out because I see it in both, um, rupture and in show me yours, which is I'm always looking at conceptual development and elements of creative practice. That's what I pull out. That's what I teach. That's what I think about. Um, so you're comfortable or not even comfortable, but I guess I'm saying I hear, see, and watch you make your own rules. Like you come up, like, I love that when I read about rupture, because I think I might've asked you that too, but learning how you're very precise about what you're taking from the beginning of that scene to the end, and then taking the text that is last said in that sequence, like those are rules. And then they become that slice of how you get into the cake or the pie or the, the entity that you're actually dealing with. And that's mm-hmm. a creative tool mm-hmm. and, and you use it oh, really yeah. well. Thank you. I, I, I'm, I appreciate that you noticed that and made that connection across these projects. That, Absolutely. That is a, that is a strategy that I use constantly. And I, I don't know at this point if it is a strategy or a crutch, um, because I am not quite sure how to approach a large form project without a strategy or a set of rules in that way. Um, I actually, I teach this images and stories class at the university of Colorado. And I, that is a one strategy that I give my students, which is like, create a set of rules for yourself and see what emerges. Because I do think that um, interesting work can often emerge from a set of constraints, right? Rather than, um, like unfettered freedom. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I, I work with rules a lot that kind of have their own sort of internal logic. And Mm -hmm. I usually stumble across those, those rules 
kind of serendipitously or organically, mm-hmm. um, like the very, that, that very large, mostly magenta pinkish image in rupture where you can make out the lamp. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the very first image I took for that series. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I heard while recording it was you're going back to Missoula, Montana. And I just, that line stuck in my head mm-hmm. and I was like, well, that that's the title. That must be the title, you know? Um, and, and in that case, it reminded me of, um, some like personal stuff I was going through at the time and how I would keep notes. Uh, I, I would, I had, you know, the notes app on my phone, I would keep this log of things that were said to me Mm. that I knew if I didn't write them down immediately, my brain would obliterate them Mm -hmm. because I no part of my physiology wanted to remember any of it. So what I would get were these almost non sequiturs in the notes app on my phone that were almost like, um, you know, their own captions or titles of something that had happened to someone. Um, and I think that was, yeah, I was, I was really just following my nose on all of this, you know, but then eventually I was like, okay, well then the last line that is uttered in the scene will become the title of its respective image. Mm -hmm. And that became the rule. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and like with the show me yours project, that was, um, a little bit less organic and, um, I mean, that was so clear. It was like, well, the rules are, I'm, I'm going into, um, I guess the rules were like, I'm going into these men's bedrooms and it has to be their bedroom because often they're sharing space with other people. And, and the bedroom is, especially if they are somewhat single, uh, (laughs) the bedroom is a space that is most likely just filled with their possessions. Mm -hmm. And if, if it's filled with someone else's possessions and that is an interesting thing all on its Mm -hmm. own you know if they have the box of things from the x or whatever that's that's interesting content then um and then the bedroom became important to me because it's like a when i started pairing it with the diary entries they became two different forms of interiority it became Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, if you think of the diary as a place for interior reflections and emotional self-disclosure, then the bedroom is quite literally like a brick and mortar interior mm-hmm. for like your clothes and your snowboards when you're not on the mountains in the case of, you know, Colorado, mm-hmm. but it's, yeah, it's a space for your actual possession. So that, that internal logic, um, became important for my process of, of making rules for myself. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it sounds like, you know, it wasn't an, an indefinite amount of time that you were there. You were like, I'm going to do this and it's going to be a deep dive and, and you're done. You know, it wasn't ongoing, but I think what's interesting too about the bedroom aspect is obviously the intimacy of it. Like that's your most intimate space or where you have the most intimate activities. It's also, I was thinking where you sleep, right? So you're most vulnerable in that state, as well as some of your diary entry people were actually chronicling their dreams 
uh, which I thought was really interesting too. Um, you made me think of something I wanted to ask you. Um, and I'm now I'm trying, I was listening to you and I've forgotten my question. Well, oh, I know what it was. It wasn't a question. It was this idea, um, that the people that you chose for soft mirror, uh, have a similar process orientation that you do in terms of a, a very um, intuitive um, and then at like the serendipitous, um, but also intuitive and being highly selective. Like, I think that's an important um, component. Uh, yeah. And so it's interesting because I see your creative practice mirrored in the, which does <laughs> makes total sense, right? But in the people that you chose. Right. Yeah. <laughs> maybe this is, um, maybe this is the problem in an artist trying to play curator for a few months, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. I was going to say, I hope we see more curation because I think that's so interesting. Um, uh, yeah, no, you're right though. They, yeah. Like it, it would be really, um, you know, I talked to all of them about their work, but not in this super deep dive holistic way, but it would be really interesting to see how, how it all began. If it was, if, if, if it began with some kind of, you know, experiment that then had its own internal logic that then developed into this larger set of rules that then evolved into this, you know, um, def like definitive way of working and cohesive aesthetic. Um, mm -hmm. because you're right. They, they all have a similar way of working. Um, there is, you can feel the constraints and the rules that then produce these like gem-like images for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, it's really interesting. Um, two things. One is that uh, as a curator and not the creator of the art, I get to play in that sandbox a lot, which is really fun for me because I am very interested in how people work, the creative process that they choose and, and their relationship to their own concept development. That's key for me. And in terms of, um, what I write about, think about teach is concept aware. And it's literally putting together different elements that I can see different people leaning into often unconsciously. And that's what's really fun is pulling that out, helping that awareness, because then people really own it and it starts to become uh, stronger and you see it in the work. So it's a really wonderful synergy. But you also made me um, think of something else besides how you pulled that out. Oh, <laughs> that I literally met Kay as a graduate student. At SPE. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I reviewed his work. I think it was 2015, because I tend to remember SPEs by where they were, and it was Las mm -hmm. Vegas, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So when I saw that that many years ago, I was blown away by 
his conceptualization. And it was all these pieces. And we have still been in touch over these years because I've been very, very impressed with his ability to evolve over and over with these ideas and with the materiality and with his own evolution and framing and how he sees it. Fascinating. So yeah, yeah I wanted yeah. to say that. His work is incredible. Um, and that's so interesting that you got to see the evolution of his work. I mean, so what, eight years from mm-hmm. 2015 until, uh, I mean, we're still seeing it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm yeah. still in touch with him. We have, mm-hmm. we have cooked ideas because I would, I, I love pairing his work with other people as well. But there were two things that I wanted to to be able to get to, which is um, a question on "Show Me Yours," and then we'll we'll wrap with um, just talking about "Pardon My Creep." But I thought it was really interesting as I dove through this book that um, Melinda had the same question I did. She literally wrote because that last image was totally a question for me. And then it was so funny for it to be literally written in the text, like, okay, so what about that last image? So (laughs) what about that last image? I'm, I'm still debating what I'm looking at and it's also smaller in size Mm -hmm. than a lot of others. I mean, I'm, I didn't go back and say, is this the smallest image, but it's one of them. Yeah. It's not big. So um, I think your sequencing was really fun and I loved that it didn't have a predictable rhythm at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There was nothing answered or nothing linear, though Lord knows I do want to know the answer. I thought that that entry on the calendar was so chilling when it said worst day and it lost two people by name at different times. I was like, Oh my God. Cause that's another thing that I think you do really well is that you're giving us connectivity on some level, but you're really pushing our imagination. Like you click our imagination on, right? Mm-hmm. Cause, and it's always got this tension. Like, you know, I thought about that one and I was like, Oh my God, did that person like actually lose other people in his life. Like there were deaths. And then I thought, you know, it could have nothing to do with that, you know, and, and there might be like a, um, I don't know, all kinds of things that could be coming from just that little description. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So many things there. Well, to go back to that last image of that tiny, sorry, I brought up two things. Oh no. I just, I wanted to make sure that I like didn't gloss. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the tiny image of the plant, um, which is viewed through, gosh, if I'm remembering correctly, it was this long kind of yet square. I forget the shape that that's called mm-hmm. in geometry. It's not a cylinder. It's a it's square a, version. Oh, what? No. Okay. But I, I was going to say, it looks like a cube here. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It's like longer. But it's tubular. Right. Um, and it was just this little plant and this person had all sorts of plants all over his space. And if I'm remembering correctly, I think that was his favorite. I think that's the only reason I photographed it was because it was pointed out to me. It was so small and had to be turned on its side and backlit against a window 
in order to get this like little emerging plant life. And there's something, you know, there's something like small and tender and um, life emerging, a little hopeful. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like something coming up through the cracks. Now I get it. It's you're looking down into it. Yeah. Or I think I actually placed it on its side so that it was backlit against a bright window. And then, mm-hmm. whereas normally it was upright like this. Right, right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now I can actually make that out that it looks like I, I totally get it <laughs> of what I'm physically looking at. But I really appreciate the, um, the layered metaphor of that. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's a little, uh, because I mean, that, some of the, the emotional roller coaster of that book, the depths of that roller coaster do get a little bit dark. And mm-hmm. I thought it deserved to end on like a cute little plant that was, you know. Well, uh, for my purposes, yes, I mean, something nurturing, something coming forth, uh, bringing new life. But what I think is hilarious is you literally had to put that on its side, which is exactly what you do, right? right. <laughs> it's a silo that I've toppled over. Totally. And we are photographed. <laughs> we're looking down that silo. Yep. You put things on their ear as they would say. Um, okay. So then I don't remember the order. Pardon my creep came out before after after okay yeah yeah that came i almost feel like pardon my creep is almost like a tongue-in-cheek offshoot of show me yours mm-hmm. it's kind of like um oh you want to talk about the tinder conversations okay well here's a silly zine gotcha um, gotcha and that was actually a collaboration with my friend kelly eisworth mm-hmm. who also actually came to the soft mirror opening and she, um, yeah, she and I went to grad, uh, graduate school together. I think she was the only photo person I stayed in consistent contact with, <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and during, yeah, so we started, it started out with us just texting each other um, the most ridiculous messages we would get on these dating apps from probably 2015 through 2018 or 2019, mm-hmm. off and on. And eventually, um, she was like, you know, we need to make, we need to make a zine or some kind of book about this. And I was, I was really hesitant mostly because, um, I don't know, they're just such murky waters, you know, and, um, it hasn't always been the, it's not a space I really enjoy mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and, um, and when, you know, anytime you're making a project, you have to basically drown in it for a while. Like you have mm. to really be thinking a lot about whatever it, that is for a, for a very long time. Um, eventually I came around to the idea and we decided to pair these messages that we had received on dating apps with um, with found images that we had sourced from eBay, from thrift stores, from antique malls, from, you know, random friends' like family albums and basements. And, um, and it became this, uh, this kind of visual conversation around 
analog and digital connection, right? Because all of the images were all analog images, even if they were taken on Fuji film in, you know, 2019, when mm -hmm. obviously iPhones were very much a thing, but all the images had to be analog. And then all the messages had to be intro messages uh, that we had received on, on dating apps. And we just threw them all into a mix. And it got to the point where when I open part of my Crete now, I am actually unsure about whether or not any given message was written to me or to Kelly. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> even matter at this point. <laughs> well, it's so funny because there's more parameters again that you just came up with, like, you know, organically. And I appreciate that you were saying like, you know, you didn't know if you wanted to open the Pandora's box or spend that much time in the Tinder land, <laughs> knowing what you knew of it. Um, but I don't know that I got to tell you this, that I actually, um, because I went from Colorado to San Francisco, met Kelly again oh, in San Francisco, <laughs> like on purpose. We, we, because you introduced us because she came up at the opening. Right. Yeah. And then she's like, I live in San Francisco. And I'm like, well, uh, that's where I'm going. And then one thing led to another. And we met at the Minnesota Projects, which was really fun. Oh, that makes me so happy. That's yeah. where I first saw Tabitha Soren's work was the Minnesota Street Project in 2017. And I didn't know anything about her, but I saw her work and I took all of these just, you know, just quick snapshots of it just mm. to remember. And yeah, well, hmm. <laughs> Minnesota Street Project. What a great place of um, oh my gosh! I went connections and uh, well, it was because that Kelly had mentioned it, and I'm like, I'm not familiar. I'll come out to Dog Patch, and then I went back to Dog Patch. It was just there was so much there, and I really loved seeing um, the SFICA, which is pretty new. It opened in October mm -hmm. with um, a beautiful show called Resting Our Eyes. So yeah, that whole area was really, really rich. And I love this um, because I did get um, the zine with the image. And I love my image that it's here. <laughs> and I love that on the back, it says, hello, I'm an alien. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we had that limited edition of 35 zines that... <sighs> Where we used, uh, you know, the original photographs that we didn't end up including in the zine mm -hmm. with messages that we, you know, we had to kill a lot of darlings, as they yes. say, to put that yes. zine together. So, yes. um, yeah, so that's a little one of a kind. It's <laughs> so fun. <laughs> it's a little bit of a gem. And I actually think that it's really fun to pick this up. Like, I don't know, this, the zine is just, it's perfect in terms of, um, it feels voyeuristic just to play with it, right? Like as if you're on an app and and the pardon my creep is a great title again and and even like the um the cover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You guys just really hit it out of the park. Well, and so, that was such a long distance collaboration because of the time we had both moved out of Colorado and mm -hmm. I was spending a lot of time on the East Coast. And at that point, Kelly, I think she was living in LA at the time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we, it was the, it was actually like a very long distance relationship, like the <laughs> zine. And then, um, it, it, uh, all of my, my half of the stack uh, arrived in Marfa at the post office, I think days after the pandemic had hit. And so, <laughs> so it, it just felt like, um, I don't know, by the time we finished it, it felt like a time capsule. 
Mm. Because it felt like this type of, um, I don't know, attempt at relating to each other uh, mm-hmm. over the internet or, you know, like these bids, uh, these bids at human connection that start online and then hopefully, if all goes well, inevitably ends up in person. Mm-hmm. Um, that all went out the window, you know, in March of 2020, mm-hmm. as soon as we finished that zine. So by the time we got it, it felt like this relic of like a, a pastime. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, what's so interesting is that just like going back to look at show me yours, you can go back to pardon my creep to really look at it analytically in where it falls in time and how many things get peeled back to be able to think about it differently than you ever intended, mm-hmm. which is really, really fun. I think that's such a um, a font for other uh, ways of working with your work. Um, it also says to me that it's very rich work, right? You've got very compostable soil because you've got a lot that you can get in there and take out of it, depending on how, you know, you just let it sit and more right. happens. Yeah. 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 Oh, and I mean, I'm sure you've seen that with so many artists and photographers that you've interviewed and curated and whose, you know, books you've advised on and stuff, but um, time is a really interesting thing. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it really, um, sometimes really interesting things can emerge mm-hmm. when given that retrospect and other times, uh, having that, having that amount of time can kind of kill a project and you don't really know yeah. if something will seem so stuck in the past or will have, um, you know, if, if the conversation will have become even more nuanced and complicated given yeah. that amount of time between its creation and then it's, um, yeah, it's creation. And then it's like, it's many, the many versions of reception that come after its creation. Correct. Like you mentioned that, um, hang on, I've got notes because what you said was that idea of not having a singular conclusion or interpretation, um, coming out of show me yours. And I don't think it's possible that you will create any work that could have a singular interpretation. I don't, that's, that's just not going to happen. But you also, I have one last question cause we're, we're running out of time, but, um, you don't have to tell me anything, but I understand that you're working on no man's land. And I don't know if you want to say anything about that or if it's too close to the bone and it doesn't need to be until later revealed. Yeah, I can talk about it a little bit. So, and no man's land is my pet name for this project that may or may not change. Mm-hmm. I love I haven't that. decided yet. Um, but I am taking the same approach that I took with Show Me Yours. Mm-hmm. And applying it to the tiny town of Marfa, Texas, while I'm still living here. I've been gotcha. living here for a little over three years. Um, it's a secluded desert town full of all sorts of people uh, with a population of just 1,700 located in the Chihuahuan Desert, about um, 200 miles away from El Paso, which is the nearest largest city. Mm-hmm. And 
um, and I, I think about 60, 70 miles away from the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, and in this case, I am, I'm exploring, I, the one thing that has continued to fascinate me about this town as someone who, you know, I didn't grow up in Texas. I'm from the Pacific Northwest. Um, I, I'm not even a big outdoors person, so I don't know why I'm living in the desert. <laughs> but the one thing that has continued to fascinate me living out here are the many conflicting flavors or maybe manifestations of masculinity that exist in such a postage stamp of a town. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean that in all of the best and absolutely worst ways. And I have a lot of thoughts about this, but the more that I've been photographing um, these men's spaces, the more those preconceived notions have, have been complicated. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm finding also, I'm actually, I'm I'm excited about what I've been finding and photographing. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of psychologically hard because it's not predicated on anonymity and, um, distance in the way that show me yours was where I never saw those people again. Mm -hmm. It's, it's actually predicated on, uh, on familiarity and acquaintanceship, mm -hmm. if not friendship. And I, and, you know, but on the other hand, I've been able to expand my demographic and as notions around men and masculinity have expanded over the past several years, you know, the people, everyone, um, who has participated in this project are all male identifying, but they are not all cisgendered. They are certainly not all straight. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, they very, you know, different, um, they're, they grew up in different places. Some of them grew up here. Some of them didn't very different types of jobs, socioeconomic statuses, um, you know, religions or lack thereof. Uh, I, I mean, take your pick. I just yeah. playing field has been diversified quite a bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also think that that's the point. I mean, this notion around, um, masculinity in the desert in Texas is I think very fraught and history and, um, ah. And this is sort of my little microcosm mm -hmm. take on it right now in this time and place. And that's all okay. I can really say about it right now. That, uh, is, that is so good and so much because, my goodness, I feel like between this and Show Me Yours, you are so helping the future conversations. Because, you yeah. Know, I... I thought that the that this was a closed book several years ago, but all we've seen um, since 2016 mm -hmm. are more instances of men's feelings coming out sideways. That <laughs> I know that sounds kind of um, trite, mm -hmm. but I do think that there is this there is this ongoing. Um, like there, there is something going on <laughs> mm -hmm. in our society, uh, and we see more and more examples of it, whether it's because they are publicized more in the news or because they're actually happening more. I am not sure. It seems like they're happening a lot more. Um, you know, and I'm, and I'm not saying that all of these subjects are going to solve any, um, 
the people whose spaces I'm photographing, they're not going to answer all of these systemic mm-hmm. questions around, um, you know, why, why are so many men shooting up so many buildings? Mm-hmm. Um, these questions aren't going to be answered, but I do think that they, they inspire, they inspire me at least to kind of lift up the hood and, and just see what is going on with these mm-hmm. contemporary notions around masculinity right now, mm-hmm. whether that's, whether that's queer or straight or, you know, cisgendered or trans or non-binary or questioning, or, I mean, like what, just what is the lay of the land right now? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'm, I'm exploring it in this very, very tiny town um, where people come to kind of hide, they come to find themselves, they come to, um, you know, live, like live in a bubble or escape a bubble. It's, it, yeah. I mean, these are, well, you are <laughs> I'll more, I love, I love more yeah. conclusions later, but well, yeah. I mean, I think, and you'll have more questions, which is perfect. And you're the right person for this job. And I think I love, I love what you said, inspire, that this inspires, you hope it inspires us about lifting up the hood. And it's like lifting up the hood is exactly what you're doing, right? You're letting us see the complexity of what's below and how we are trying to silo, in this case, gender issues or or um, notions of. And what was really interesting, too, is that um, I do think it's helpful because you, you, again, flipped things, right? Here you are in Boulder, which is a little bit more of a city, and you took 12 people. And now you're going to this little place with only 1,700, and you're getting a wider cross-section. So all these, like, holding opposites is such a force of your uh, creative practice, too, um, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, So you are definitely going to make a lot of um, inquiry and I think open questions, but I also have this sense that you're going to move us in the direction that we're going in, which is to have more space in these areas to be able to um, really, I think about the silos and, and collapsing them and what is gained by that, right? It's like, that's, I hope, where we're going. (laughs) We could (laughs) use a little bit more of that. Yeah. Yeah, we could. could. Use a little bit more of that. I do too. There was one other thing, and then we're going to have to end, but it was something I wrote down when I was thinking about how I think about how you think. Um, and, And I wrote down cumulative understanding. And, and I appreciate that you approach things with the curiosity of not knowing, even when you think you do, like you thought you walked into one, you know, show me yours with certain expectations, but you give us as your viewers and people engaging with your work, an accumulation of understanding. And I think that's so important. 
I I appreciate that. I'm reminded of I'm totally stealing this from somebody, and I don't remember who. It's some public uh, some public figure or comedian or somebody. But um, <laughs> the idea of having strong opinions loosely held is mm-hmm. kind of how I uh, I tend to live life. I mm-hmm. love um, I love having an opportunity to change my mind. Mm-hmm. And up until that point. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> oh <laughs> my gosh. Yeah, yeah, that's why we are kindred spirits. <laughs> I picked up on that. And the only other thing I thought to to sum it up is like embrace the mess. Like, yeah. you know, don't try to clean it up. Yeah. No, no, you can all you can't you you can't always find order and chaos. Sometimes yeah. you can just find a little more chaos and that's okay. Right. Totally. Yeah. The waters we're swimming in. Yeah. I agree. I, I could tell right away when I met you, like you just, you, you see, you see through, you see things, you see through, <laughs> you see the logic and things and you're able to pull those complicated threads mm. in an interesting way. I, I feel like all of us photographers need more people like you. So. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, it's really, it is, it is how I see. And it's so funny when you talk about pet names. So I am in the process of uh, uh, a book on concept aware and letting that out into the world in book form and the the working title concept aware, how you see and why it matters. And what's ironic is this is how I see, like I do see those threads. <laughs> so right. it's like, it's like, you know, I think that can be helpful. Um, yeah. 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 It's like musicians who just, they can walk into any room and the, the, and the sounds happening just affect them in a certain way. It's sort of, you know, that's how you see the way they hear, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. That's fun to think of. And um, last night coming home on the plane, I watched the movie, the documentary about Lizzo, which was awesome. Oh, yeah. It was so fun. Was great. Yeah. 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 And like, I loved how she would be on the phone and being like, and then I see this and then that, and I know this is crazy, but then the orchestra does this and then you see it <laughs> in concert. Oh. It's like, Oh, how cool. Yeah. Yeah. And she combines it with, yeah, she combines it with her deep knowledge of like music theory, but then also pop culture. Yeah. And it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's all over. I love, I, I, yeah. I'm, I actually want to see it again. Anything I see on a plane doesn't feel like it gets totally seen, you know? So I'll, I, I would look at that again, but thank you so much for this. This is like a visit within a visit. Yeah. Yeah. This was so fun. Thank you so much for this. Thank you for joining our conversation. We so appreciate it when you follow, rate, and review. We love hearing your feedback. I'd like to share a recent review entitled Boundless Enthusiasm. As an artist new to the bookmaking process, I continue to be inspired by Sibylla's insights and boundless enthusiasm for the art form. Her conversations have turned me on to concepts and creators I may not have otherwise discovered, and for that I am deeply grateful. 
I recently self-published my first book and wish I could have come across her offerings when I started that process. But I am happy to say that as a result of tuning in and occasionally binging on episodes of Got Punctum, I feel more than primed and ready to embark on the experience of making the next book. Thank you for that review. We're really excited to hear we're binge-worthy. See you next time.